Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, a fantastic session we're going to be having now with three experts in digital marketing. I'm joined today by Ronald Van Loon, and Neil Schaefer and Andy Crestadina. Uh, my name is Alistair Wheat. I'm the head of product and strategy, uh, product strategy and partnerships here at Analytica. Uh, so before I uh, introduce the gentleman here, I'm going to actually uh, just uh, wish everyone a, a happy holiday season and hope that you're having a, a good sort of warm up to Christmas. Um, so now over to the gents. I'm just going to ask you, first of all, Ronald, so if you want to tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what's your background in influencer marketing? Yeah, thanks for, for having me over here. I'm director at the data analytics consultancy firm called Advertisement. Don't confuse it with advertisement, but um, it's Advertisement and I'm also a vlogger, I'm a blogger, I'm a webinar host, and in a week's time, I will launch an AI co coaching series. And I'm course advisor for Simply Learn, which is a big data and AI certification company. And my background in marketing, on one hand, I'm uh, helping companies to become data-driven in the domain of, of marketing. And um, on the other hand, I became a vlogger, let's say four or five years ago, and now produce around 400, 500 uh, videos, um, articles, webinars per year. So it's uh, practice and, and doing it. Thank you very much. Neil, how about you? Oh, good morning. Uh, my name is Neil Schaefer. I am uh, what you would consider author, speaker, consultant. I also have my own uh, digital marketing agency. I also teach uh, digital at universities. Uh, you know, because I work with clients around the whole spectrum of digital and social, uh, my specialty is not influencer marketing, but I noticed starting a few years ago that more and more of the questions that I received from clients were about influencer marketing. And as I'm a content creator myself, especially in the B2B world, a lot of companies were reaching out to me uh, as an influencer wanting to engage with me. So uh, I embarked about two years ago on a, a new project, which is writing a book really the book that I think is yet to be written, really the influence marketing playbook, whether you're a B2B, B2C, nonprofit, a government. Uh, and that book is called The Age of Influence and it's gonna publish in March and I'm uh, very excited about it. Great, thank you. Andy, how about you? Andy Crestina, and I'm excited about Neil's book too. I got an advanced copy and uh, it's a it's how to work with influencers. A lot of the influencer marketing books are like how to be influential yourself. So Neil's got a great take on that. I have been, collaborating with uh, other marketers and companies like Analytica um, in my content for the last 12 years. So starting in 2007, I, I began content marketing. And not long after that, I learned about guest blogging, which is a collaborative approach, uh, interviews about uh, you know creating conferences and inviting people to speak. So the influencer marketing for me, kind of we used to just call it collaborative content. And that kind of evolved into organic influencer marketing. But most people know me as the co-founder of Orbit Media, which is a web design company here in Chicago. Uh, I, it's a team of 40 people, um, and I've been doing search and analytics for the last 20 years. And, um, and I love this topic, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you all three for those uh, introductions. And it's a very much a fast-moving world, isn't it, this whole space of uh, influencer marketing. Uh, one of the things that is rapidly evolving, I think, is the terminology in the space. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask the three of you was about this uh, terminology and what the words that people use to describe different types of influences. In particular, these uh, terms micro, macro, and now nano as well, and there's other sort of variations on that, um, which people are trying to use to categorize different types of influences and why they might want to work with them maybe differently depending on their banding. Uh, I'd love to know from the three of you, maybe starting with, with you, Ronald, is um, 
do you think that this is the right way to kind of segment uh, influencers using these kind of headings? Um, is it good for the industry? Um, or are they really outdated terms that we shouldn't be using anymore? Whether it's good or bad for the industry, I, I don't know. But if you look to the words nano, micro, and, and macro, um, I think they differentiate the amount of followers. And they do not reflect the real engagement levels and the impact and influence uh, that you have on your target audience. And if you take an example, if you want to have influence on C-level or vice president level in the telecom sector, and you take a macro um, uh, influencer, maybe an extreme example, take a celebrity, take, take Justin Bieber with 100 million followers on Twitter, <laughs> and you want to reach CIOs or CVP level in telecom, it's not going to work. If you look to a nano influencer with a small amount of, of relevant followers, for example, 2,000 C-level and VP level in, in telecom, who creates very relevant content because he's a domain expert and he connects with on a more personal level with these people and he can engage with much more relevant domain and industry knowledge. I think this is much more valuable. And if you look to the naming, is it in line really with the role that you have? Um, which one is then most valuable? I think the one that is nano influencer, but nano doesn't sound like being very valuable, I think. And which one would you choose? I think that 99.9% .9 will choose this nano influencer because he has the real impact. And then if you look, how should you call it? Um, you can call it a thought leader. You can call it, um, I think, an analyst, a domain expert, or you can call this nano influencer. But as I said, it, it doesn't really reflect it. And if you then look to micro, macro, and nano, they can be more or less um, I think misleading compared to, to what we say. So it doesn't reflect the quality of the content. Um, Macro um, has a large follower base, but if you don't have valuable content or you don't create content at all, some influencers just share content. And if you then compare it with a nano influencer who has this um, CMVP level with valuable research, uh, for example, in AI decisions, um, yeah, then you can really, really make an, uh, make an impact, I think. And is it outdated or not? I never use the terms, to be honest. Um, I'm now, I think, an influencer three, four years. Um, and I think B2B influencer marketing, yeah, don't um, compare it with, with B2C influencer marketing. B2B influencer marketing is about your target audience. It's about the engagement and the engagement by driven by quality of content and also the volume of content and the right formats, whether it's video, whether it's audio, whether it's um, written mm -hmm. content, and it's depending on the authority and the influence you have mm -hmm. as a person, I think. And instead of in, um, classifying influencers in macro, micro, and nano, maybe we can better define per go-to-market strategy, per event, uh, what are your goals, which authority and influence fits best to reach your target audience, uh, what type of content and quality levels should be created, which format should be created, and what expect, uh, what, what kind of KP, KPI engagement do you expect rather than having some kind of, yeah, I think you can better have uh, some kind of authority score per audience on these factors. Mm -hmm. And then if you look to the B2B influencer marketing, I think it will be integrated the coming years in the traditional marketing. Influencer marketing will become the normal type of marketing um, the coming years, part of go-to-market strategies, part, part of events. 
and I think the reasons are, are quite simple because it's more effective, it's lower cost, it's more efficient and, and the quality is higher. The only issues that we still have is I think scale and efficiency and, and getting the right KPIs. Yeah, thank you. Neil, how about you? What do you think about it? Yeah, we could, uh, this, this is obviously a full chapter of my book. We could talk a lot about this. I think at the beginning of you know new trends in, in marketing, what have you, um, we like to first simplify things, right? So when agencies and when marketplaces uh, initially, or, or even you know influencer search engines, I think when they first uh, introduced this concept of influencer marketing to companies, uh, it's a very, very convenient way to organize who might be an influencer by follower. Uh, you know, if we go back and, and I consider, you know, affiliate marketing and guest blogging and all that that Andy talked about, that's also part of influencer marketing, even though we didn't call it that by, you know, back then. And yeah. even in that world in the B2B, it is what is the domain authority, right? It's looking at what is the Alexa ranking or what have you. We're always looking at different, you know, metrics to try to categorize uh, in a convenient way uh, who we should engage with or reach out to or, or create a relationship with. So I think for that purpose, there's that's just always going to exist. And I also think that the greater ROI is not at looking at those numbers. It's obviously looking deeper. It, are, are these people relevant? You know, you can have as many followers as you want, uh, but if they're not relevant to your audience or if their content is not relevant to your brand, it has absolutely no meaning. Mm -hmm. So in my book, I you know I, I talk about the, this concept of you know celebrity macro micro now nano, but you know let's flip it and look at it a different way. Let's look at it in terms of brand affinity, right? Uh, beginning with your employees, then maybe with your partners, then maybe with your fans, then maybe with your customers, then maybe with your social media followers that at least they have some brand affinity with you. Then then we go out to people that have never heard of you, right? And I think if you look at it that way, it's actually a much more convenient categorization because. Those that already have brand affinity with you already know you. There's less selling you have to do on a relationship. And I think you're actually going to get the greatest ROI from that relationship. So I think as we go forward, uh, that number and with you know Instagram removing likes, what have you, I think we're going to see uh, still the importance of these numbers for initial categorization. But in terms of really delving into much higher ROI and it's more companies, you know, bypass agencies and marketplaces and want to create more direct relationships and collaborations with influencers i think that those terms are, are not going to be as, as necessary as important but you know i'll leave you with one last thing you know i used to have an email marketing list of maybe twenty-five thousand subscribers right and i noticed that some people subscribed three years ago some five years ago uh, and i've been pruning that list and now i'm under ten thousand, and i get a much higher engagement rate so if any marketer here has ever had a similar situation where you had too large of an audience, right? And you pruned it down and you made it more relevant and you made sure that everybody listening was a relevant uh, potential customer or partner, what have you, you see that the engagement is higher. In fact, you see with a, with a lower number of followers or subscribers, I actually get more people engaging with my content. And I think that analogy is, is exactly the same with influencer marketing. Great, thank you. Andy, uh, last but not least, what do you think about this categorization? Well, it's it's true. The follower size is not a good correlation with engagement or influence. Uh, it's far better to be loved by a small group of people than to be known to a very large group of people. Uh, it's uh, There are people who have almost no followings who are extremely influential, like an analyst for a publication, you know, or, um, you know, the, the, the director for an event or... Mm -hmm. You know, there's someone who, there's a lot of people who are loved by their, who will do 
will give advice and everyone in their network will immediately follow that advice. But you'd call them a nano influencer through an algorithm because they have low following. The terms, I, I, I sort of liked the beginning of this evolution in the in terminology because when we said micro influencer, we were saying that person has influence even though they're not a celebrity. That's when I first heard that. Where did micro influencer come from? It was a way to say that person is relevant, is influential, even though they're not a celebrity. Hmm. But then when it became macro, micro, nano, I think it's a little bit degrading to say to use the term nano influencer. You know, I wouldn't introduce a friend as a nano influence. It sounds dinky and small. So uh, if I was introducing a friend who had who was extremely relevant and influential to a small network or they built a tight community where there's a lot of passion and, and interest. I would not use that term. <laughs> but generally the idea of there being, you know, don't target celebrities. If you want to use the word micro influencer to make that point, I'm fine with that. Great. Actually, we've all been using this word influencer uh, in this discussion. And that's uh, also what I want to ask about now, um, because at Analytica, we publish research to uh, to try and measure the authority of influencers online about a whole range of topics. And uh, the three of you obviously know about this because uh, you featured in several of these lists. Um, but it's been interesting to see sometimes people that we featured in some of our lists of influencers who, you know, we can see clearly they are influential in a particular topic area. But sometimes we've actually had people responding to us saying, hey, don't call me an influencer. I'm not an influencer. Uh, because they sometimes have this <laughs> neg very negative con in a concept of what that word means. I think this is driven a bit by some of the you know the talk about um, influencer fraud um, and a misconception hmm. about you know what people might think of when they hear the word influencer. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you know do you see have you had these uh, similar conversations with people who maybe if if you describe yourself as an influencer have uh, an expectation of what that means or. Um, or seeing other people who just dislike having that that words being used to describe them. Is it an outdated term as well? Mm. I'll well, maybe start with you, Neil, this time. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Andy, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Well, I was going to point out it's a it's a controversial. Just in two seconds, and to add to the question, it's it's uh, there's debate about whether or not one can use the term to self-ascribe themselves. So, Ronald and Neil, I will attribute that term to both of them. However, Ronald used the term in his intro, and Neil did not. So there are so it's a there's there's a conversation happening about whether it's smart or proper to describe oneself as an influencer. Um, as far as talk, telling, describing someone else as influential or as an influencer, absolutely. Uh, I will never stop using that term because it's accurate and it's a, it's what I mean. So, but uh, yeah, should you call yourself that or do people, you know, there's uh, I, I looked recently, there are um, like 150,000 people on LinkedIn who have the word influencer in their, in their headline. Is that mostly in the B2C space then? Are they, uh, maybe it means something different there. You know, I, I love what Ronald said about don't compare the two. I think that's the strongest way I've heard anyone articulate that. Don't compare mm. B2C and B2B influencer marketing. Uh, my search in LinkedIn did not, of course, segment B2C from B2B. It was just for that term. I can mm. look it up again. It was a big number. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely a controversial topic. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when I think of influencers, how do they have influence? They're, at the end of the day, they're a content creator, right? 
And if you're a content creator who has a YouTube channel that generates a million dollars a year in, in, in revenue, and that is your full-time job, I think it's okay to be called and labeled an influencer because that really is what, what you do for a living. Sure. Uh, like I said, I, I, I definitely prefer uh, the term content creator. Um, and I don't know if I was called an influencer, if I would think of it negatively because obviously I'm, I'm in the marketing space, but outside of that space, if I was called that, that that's really the first time I've ever thought about that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I see that there's some potential negative connotation, but saying that you yield uh, online influence or you yield some influence over community, um, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but no. everybody's different. And uh, I could see how some people might, um, might might think the opposite. Yeah, I, I think on one hand, it's a choice. Um, if you have proof for it, um, I think you, you can call yourself an influence. Um, companies like Onalytica give certain rankings and sure. they certain people are an influencer, or you can call it yourself. Um, many people call me a thought leader, which mm -hmm. I don't like to use myself. As, <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, look, look at me. Uh, but no, no one can, can agree on a term they like. <laughs> we all like. <laughs> yeah, so, um, um, I think on one hand, influencer makes it clear what you do um, uh, for the outside world who are not really into the domain. Um, if you say you're an author, okay, if you're a journalist, you're a reporter, um, if you're a key opinion leader, an authority or an analyst, um, all these kinds of words they give me, but um, what, what's most clear, what most, what's most clear what you do. And if I look from what I do, um, I attend around 40, uh, 40 events per year where I do a lot of recordings and, and share my knowledge. Um, at least I think it makes that part clear that I'm uh, uh, some kind of influencer. And um, on the other hand, I think it makes it clear for the bigger community, yeah, what is an influencer and make it clear because there are 15, 20 different terminologies used yeah. like AOL, like this thought leader, like an authority. Um, yeah, wh what should we use? Um, and then the, on the other hand, I think we have regulations like FTC regulations. Mm. How do we call it for FTC regulations? Um, do you need to to make your relationship clear as an influencer? Do you need to say I'm a partner? I'm a client. I'm um, if you are, um, let's say, promoting items for your client, do you say it's your client? Um, mm -hmm. That's another view on it, I think, as well. Yeah, it's interesting because we work with both enterprise uh, brands and also agencies, and particularly with some of the agencies that we're working with who work both in the B2C and the B2B world. Some of them have kind of separated the influencer marketing practice into two distinct channels. One where they will use the word influencers to describe people in the B2C space specifically, and then will use another term to describe influencers in the either the sort of the B2B or the um, not-for-profit or political arena. And they will call them key opinion leaders or thought leaders or um, like non-traditional influencers and whole variety of other terms are just yeah. no one can seem to agree on what what to call them you know and it's uh it's tough for us because we've got to put our own marketing out and uh sometimes when people look at our site and see influencer marketing they will assume that they can go and you know find some people to promote some you know right some smoothie on on a beach somewhere and you know um and we're like yeah it's not really what we do um so it's it's a real challenge for us in the marketing side to, to have a word that that describes what we're doing because it's quite different i think we're, we're trying to measure authority and impact and 
not sort of just a mm -hmm. kind of direct kind of transactional. I've got a quick question. I want to, I'd love to ask this panel just a super quick, like almost yes or no mm -hmm. question. You see Ronald and Neil and Alistair, you see that your name's on a list for top influencer in category. You look at the article. Are you happier if you found that it was a list curated by a person or are you happier if you saw that that list was generated by an algorithm? Which has more credibility? <laughs> which which makes you more excited about that list inclusion? Um, I think it can be a combination of both. And depending what kind of algorithms they use, what kind of scores they use, um, if you have a more, let's say, overall combination of um, views, I think that's the most strongest. And just take one, one type of algorithm from yeah, that's either available in the market because each algorithm has its limitation mm. as well. So um, I see more and more companies that make these type of ranks, take different type of algorithms, take also the offline credibility, um, the type of content that you publish and try to make a score. Um, but I think it's biased left or right. Well, it's definitely biased if a person made the list. It's someone's opinion. But any algorithm has, has a certain view as well and, and has some kind of weighting factors as well in it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look at the whether it's a person or brand algorithm or, or person, I, I look at their their influence, their authority, their their KOLish. Uh and, and to me that's number one. The other thing I look at is how many people are on the list. So if it's a list of 739 top influencers that right, um, a lot of uh, people and brands will create these lists as part of their own influencer mm -hmm. marketing, right? Um, so, you know, definitely the, if it's a person, I want to know how they measured it. And if it's an algorithm, I want to know what they looked at as well. And if there's some clarity around that and they're not having anybody and everybody in the space on the list, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, as someone who gets, who, who appears on a lot of lists and starting from nowhere, in the space, you know, 10 years ago, uh, as a human being, it still warms my heart that, that I'm recognized for whatever it is. So, uh, you know, there's some people that hate to be included on this, but I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm probably not the best person to ask about this, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, look at the authority, look at the number, look at the measurement. And, and if I was going to create a list, I'd want to make sure I have those things included. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, maybe uh, speaking as uh, someone who works at a software company that tries to make algorithms to do this, um, it's uh, it, I, I think that they both have their place. And when we publish our list, we obviously invite feedback and we try to get kind of human uh, peer validation of our lists. And so sometimes what happens is we'll publish a, a ranking, you know, which we've worked hard to get an algorithm that can, you know, do it better than others do it. Um, and also to very much consider the topic uh, and the network in the way that we rank people. But then if we get a bunch of people on the list to say, yeah, I, I can recognize all those other people there, my peers, you know, I'm glad to see them on this, but who's that guy? You know, why is he in there? And everyone says, why is that person on there? We kind of look at it as one and think, hmm. yeah, that's strange. You know, why are they there? And we'll look at the algorithm, you know, look at the data behind it. And that often then gives us sometimes clues, you know, where we might've got it wrong, you know, and we'll then try and adjust our algorithm. Um, it's very difficult because, um, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, counterbalance sort of frequency and activity on social with where we can, um, people who may be not active so much, but get talked about a mm -hmm. lot. So, you know, we try to to mitigate people who, who are just scoring well some of the a lot of these lists they score well just because there's a lot of activity uh, whereas we try to say well if someone's getting talked about when they haven't actually had to do a lot that's an even power more powerful signal they must have said something or hmm. written something you know um and that's why they're getting engagement so uh 
Yeah, we we look we look at any uh, we look at a lot of lists, especially the ones that have been put put together by by humans, um, and try to then see you know how can our algorithm produce something similar or do we detect any bias in that? So uh, mm. interesting comments from all three of you actually really good question. Thank you, Andy. Um, yeah, and actually just um, mentioning because you talked a bit about the B two B and B two C split, um, I think most of the time people talk about influence marketing, they're normally thinking about the B two C world. And I think certainly most of the, the money is going there because it's you know more of a just a natural evolution of social media advertising and other more transactional forms of marketing. Because um, you guys work mostly in the B two B, but also have B two B to C experience in this field. Do you see the B two B influencer marketing category catching up a bit or maturing? Um, and uh, and how far apart do you think the the uh, the, the investment gap is between the two categories? Hmm. Who wants to kick off with that one? Well, just really quick, I don't think it's going to catch up. The transactional nature of B2C influencer marketing is going to make it always a very popular thing to do because you can just, you know, find an agent and write the script and they post your picture, you know, your drink on Instagram and the lifestyle, travel, you know, these are fashion. These are things that are just very easy to do. It's just basically advertising, which is always mm. kind of, you know, it, it, B2B influencer marketing and collaborative content much more subtle targeting, much much more deliberate. There's a lot of nuance in influencer identification to Ronald and Neil's points. The types of collaboration, what's the format? It's strategic. It's not a mm. turnkey thing. You can't buy it off the shelf. So B2C influencer marketing for brand awareness and visibility, that's gonna be a mega, that's gonna be a giant ad spend category for lots of companies who are just budgeting for it and they'll just go buy it. Hmm. B2B, it's an aspect of content strategy. So uh, I don't see it as growing as fast or as easily, but um, way more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think we're in, in some kind of second wave, at least that's what I experienced myself, um, where it's now really catching up more strategic, strategic within the companies. And on one hand, I think we have some statistics that support this, like the ROI. And there are some, some sources that publish it, that the ROI of traditional digital marketing should be 11 times higher uh, that 94 percent of the um the marketers who work with influencers believe that it's an, an effective tactic and if you look on the on the other hand why why it is so important is that 90 percent of the decision makers they really initiate their purchasing process by researching opinions from industry experts and, and from peers on the other hand what i see myself is that leading tech vendors um, have where influencers became a real strategic part of, on one hand, their events and their go-to-market strategy. So it means that if there's an event, if there's a go-to-market strategy, by definition, there's influence marketing involved and there's influencers involved. Mm. And they have um, now moving more instead of calling on Friday, can you come on, on Monday to China? It's more an annual planning that's, um, that is changing, let's say, in the market and becoming more a long-term commitment from the influencer to the, the vendor and the vendor to, to the influencer. And what you see as well is that there's more companies we're having central coordination, have a, a central influencer marketing team, and they support all the local teams and the industry teams and the, um, the solution teams. The solution teams, they say, okay, we're going to market with a new solution. I need an influencer because it's part of our, our strategy. Um, and I think what, what can really accelerate it further is if influencers are able to generate leads as well. And the same as, as you mentioned for the B2C, where it's really transactional. 
Mm. If the lead um, leads generated by the influencers um, really starts occurring, then it can really take off. And I think what's very um, important for this is the the type of content and the value of the content should become bigger. We should more we should go more in depth, more educational mm -hmm. to to make that happen. And what you see is that more strategic new budgets are available from these events, from these go-to-market teams, from the departments, from the industries. I see more ad hoc budgets um, increasing. And as I said, if the lead gen um, can be provided by the influencers, these budgets, I think, are almost limitless um, once that's happening. Thank you. How about you, Neil? Yeah, I, I see a few different trends. And, you know, that, that B2C versus B2B is interesting because, you know, I look at influencer marketing as this evolution from organic social to paid social to, to influence marketing. So from the B2C side, um, you know, a lot of the organic social content that a lot of B2C brands did was very promotional, right? Um, coupon sales, what have you. And when you get to the point where that no longer works and when paid becomes expensive, you know, the content itself is not as important as just getting the word out, right? So we can uh, hire influencers to create content for us, to, to promote our content, what have you. In the B2B space, obviously it's more about the content and making sure that the content that your brand is, is publishing uh, is, is helping your audience, right? It's helping them on th that buying journey that they have. So right there inherently, it's very, very different where I think uh, for content creation, uh, for B2B uh, companies, there's there's just less of that complete outsource of that to an influencer. Now, obviously, as you know, Andy Ronan alluded to, events, uh, you know, co-content creation, it's all, always been there. But what's really interesting, and I know, Alistair, I know the folks at Analytical would agree with me on this, is that, you know, influencer marketing actually has been around for B2Bs for quite some time. And whether it is that, you know, notion of guest blogging, what have you, but more importantly, and more recently, this concept of employee advocacy, right, of leveraging your employees as influencers. Now, yeah. a lot of companies have not done it right. Um, and, and there's been sort of a burnout. I know of a lot of employee advocacy tools companies from that space. But that is, you know, we have this important content. We want as many people to talk about this content in these relevant communities so that we can amplify that and, and you know, generate more leads in business. And then you look at social selling where it ties into employee advocacy. And now you have your salespeople that are, that are sharing this content. So when you think about it that way, I think that B2B actually caught up pretty quickly with employee advocacy a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it might have died down a little bit, but uh, I, I think more and more uh, once companies and you know, B2B brands realize, wow, that you know, that really when we're talking about employees, it's the same concept of influencer marketing. How do we, we work with employees? How do we work with outside people? How do we bring them all together in a strategic program where we include events and you know, web content and social content, what have you? Um, that's when I think it becomes powerful. And I think we're already, and, and I'm sure a lot of analytics customers are already starting to go down that path. I think we're really, in all honesty, at the tip of the iceberg. And I do think that like with most things in B2B, it's not going to be this viral thing that explodes overnight. But over time, I think you're going to see more and more companies doing that. I mean, the savvy Silicon Valley tech industry and then slowly moving on. Yeah, and actually, just anecdotally from our side, it's been very interesting to see the transition this last year, because uh, we have, you know, got some clients that we've had for several years, um, and you know, previous years we've been sometimes initiating contact with some, you know, large blue chip brands, talking with their marketing team about influencer marketing, and they're already doing a lot of marketing, got large marketing teams, but 
influence marketing has been a new thing for them. And they've been like, you know, what is this? Explain it to us. You know, why should we do it? Whereas this last year, it's, we've seen kind of change now where we're seeing some, you know, some, some large uh, brands coming to us who are already doing influencer marketing and have already, you know, done quite a lot of thinking that, you know, they've done some really cool stuff, but now they kind of want to upgrade perhaps what they're doing. And then they, that's nice that they come and talk to us at that point, but it's not like a, a kind of fresh conversation about us having to explain what influence marketing is about. But we're now seeing brands starting off with us having already been doing it for a bit themselves. Um, and so that that's kind of makes our job a bit easier, I suppose, that we're, see, we're seeing that maturity and, uh, you know, people like you help with that i think because you're, you're out there working with these brands ahead of us sometimes uh sometimes you know we, we might be the one introducing the brand to the influencers but it happens the other way around as well so uh exciting times being great to see what happens in 2020 and hopefully we'll be uh doing more uh podcasts and content with with the three of you as well so um that's our time up um thank you uh, all very much for your contributions and everything you said um hopefully it'll make a great listen for people who want to find out more about this space so uh thank you very much and have have a good weekend Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Alan. Let it go. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers.